0: the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. talking about the Bible. And before we get going, let me, let me just say this. The Bible means a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, the, the word Bible essentially just means foremost authority on a specific topic. So if, let's say, you're a cyclist, right? You'd buy this Bible, you, you the cyclist training Bible, right? That's your Bible, right? If you're a cyclist, you want to know what's the best way to inflate those tires and what pound they should be at and, and, and you know, what kind of tires you buy and what seats and all that other stuff and how tight should you have your suit so it doesn't for I don't know. Anyway, you're a cyclist, that's your Bible, but what if, what if you're like a foodie? If you're a foodie, there, there, there's this, the flavor Bible. I'm like, what? The Essential Guide to Culinary Creativity. Man, I'm like, show me the flavor, right? But then there's this one, the herb Bible. I'm like, and now somebody like, this, the, there's a whole bunch of millennials that are like, herbs? I'm into herbs, right? Okay, uh, this, this, that, this, not that kind of herb, okay? Uh, but, but, but for us as Christians, right, Yeah, they're like, people are like, pastor went there today. I did, I went there today. Uh, there's, we, we follow the Holy Bible, because you know what we're interested in? I'm interested in what God has to say about my life. I wanna understand who he is. I wanna understand why I'm here. A lot of people think, you know, well, I'm here because, well, I'm here to do my job. There's more than that. So we're going to dig into a series this morning. Open up your apps. If you don't have the notes, raise your hands. I want you to fill in some notes because I want you to walk home. I want you to take home some scripture with you this morning. There's a lot to be said here. Ushers will have those for you. If you raise your hands, I have them in hard copy. If you have the church app, open it up. We're ready for you. You can get it at the App Store or Google Play. Go for it. Get that on your phone. Get that on your tablet because some people just are. Not note takers like this anymore, they're like, well, I got my phone with me all the time, and so we have a lot of people that are doing their notes off of their mobile device. So we're going to start this series, Uh, we began it last week, and I began the series by introducing a concept that I actually stole from Winnie the Pooh. In the original story, Winnie the Pooh is staring at a jar of honey, and in it he's like, well, how can I be sure that this really is honey? And so he's looking at this jar and he tears off the label and he says, Well, it looks like honey. Okay. And then he, but you know, I, I don't know if I'm sure about that. So he opens it up. It's, yeah, it still looks like, you know, so he tastes, he says, Oh, this is honey for sure. Well, I'm kind of trying to take the same approach, just simple. It's, it's not difficult to take a look at this and realize this is God's word. So here's the three questions that I, that I got out of that picture watching Winnie the Pooh do that Does the Bible claim to be God's word? Does it, Does it? what does it say on the label? What does it say on the label? What does it say about itself? When I look at it, I go, okay, well this is what it says. And then the second question, does it seem to be God's word? What does it look like when you look inside, when you turn these pages? Does the Bible look like something only only God could have written? And then last question is, does the Bible prove to be God's word? That's where I think a lot of people struggle. We're gonna be dealing with that in this series. What does the Bible taste like? Because how can you really taste that? Is there a way to personally experience the Bible? I believe that there is, and that's what we're gonna be doing. Last week, while looking at what the Bible claims to be, that first part, I discussed how we understand God's written or spoken self-expression as the Word of God. That's what we talked about last night, the Word of God, lowercase w. But then... The Bible also speaks of the Word of God, capital W, uppercase W. Look at the way John's gospel begins. In the book of John, the good news of John, there are four good news books. John chapter 1 starts like this. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. Oh, so they had a Bible way back then? Before God said, let there be light, there was already a Bible? No, 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 this is a different word. Watch this. The word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. I'm like, wait a minute, I thought the word was a book. We'll get there, hold on, come with me. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. And then skipping down to verse 14, look what it says here, He just it gets better. The word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we had seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only, what? Son. So now we understand, wait a minute, so, so John is describing Jesus as the Word, capital W, Word. Apparently the Word isn't just an it, the Word is also a he, and today I wanna look at that together with you. You guys ready for that little trip? We're gonna take that little trip together. All of this is revealing to us that there's something about it that we share ourselves with words. Words, words have a way of disclosing our thoughts, our intentions, our character. That's what w- words, words reveal us. We are like this because the one who created us is like this. In Genesis chapter 1, God reveals Himself through words. And most of all, God reveals himself with the word that we just talked about, the W, the capital W, Jesus, the Christ. That's how God reveals himself. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son, as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. Listen to this. For, uh, continue. Uh, is that the end of it? I thought there was a little bit more. Okay. <laughs> this is this is God talking. He's saying, listen, I, you got to hear this. I revealed myself before, right? I, I had all these things to say, but I have even more to tell you. The son, Jesus, radiates, listen to this, God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And when he has cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This is beautiful. It's just beautiful. And I hear this and I'm, do do you notice those two stunning phrases? Jesus radiates God's glory. He expresses the character of of God is beautiful. This is who we discovered. This is who we found out. And Paul writes it to the church in Colossae. Right? He writes this letter way back. It's called Colossians. He writes it to this church. This is, by the way, where Philemon, That's another book back there. He, Paul wrote a letter to this guy named Philemon. Philemon lived in Colossae. Colossians 1.9 says this. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. See, when I see this, I see these things that John writes, that Paul writes, and I think, oh, so if I wanna discover who God is, I gotta look to Jesus. But a lot of people have separated those two things. Oh, God is a mean kind of ogre, he's waiting to zap people, but Jesus was loving. But that's not what the Bible says. In fact, Jesus said it himself in John 5, 19. Look at the way Jesus describes himself. I'm telling you the truth, this is Jesus talking. The son can do nothing by himself. Listen to this. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. This is Jesus. Listen, when we look at Jesus, that is God. That's the way God functions. That's why Jesus is described as the word. Because he's the definitive revealing of who God is and what God is like. And when we look at Jesus, all that he said and did, every, the, whole, the whole ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when we watch all the story of how he functioned. The guessing game about who God is and what God is like is over. And just to be clear, God is not two-faced. He doesn't say one thing in the Bible and then another, through, another thing through Jesus. And a lot of people want to separate those two things. Well, that's God and this is Jesus. According to Jesus, they are one. I only do, what if you saw me doing something, that's what the Father does. These two things are inseparably connected. God made himself known through Jesus, who was revealed through the Bible. And that's your first blank. The living word is Jesus. The written word is the Bible. They're both the word, but we call one the living word, and the other, the written word. That's what we saw last week. Jesus repeatedly pointing back to Scripture. The living word points to the written word. But we also saw at the same time, Scripture repeatedly pointing back to Jesus. Look through the Old Testament. The written word points to the living word constantly. They're just doing this. Watch how explicit Jesus gets about this whole whole piece, this conversation in John chapter five. John chapter five, verses 39 and 40. Watch this. He's talking talking to some religious leaders, the Bible scholars of the day, and look what he says. And and there are times I want to quote this to people. I, I really do. This is what Jesus says. You search the scriptures because... You think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Scriptures are pointing to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. See, in this particular verse, Jesus is tearing into the Bible scholars of the day because they spend their lives studying the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures. I know a lot of people who know a lot of Bible, but they don't know the Bible. They're not walking it out. I can quote them. Listen, the devil can quote the Bible. Didn't we watch him do that to Jesus himself? Hey, the Bible says, and Jesus goes, yeah, but you're forgetting the rest of it. You haven't read the rest of the Bible. I see what you're doing. You're taking pieces out that please you. The devil can quote the Bible, but are we living the Bible? They want the written word. These scholars, they want the written word, but they don't want the living word. And you know what's really wild today? This is really kind of wild. Religious people, they frequently make the reverse mistake. They want the living word, but they don't want the written word. They will, spiritual people will say, you know, being a Christian isn't about knowing a book, it's about knowing a person. Well, you can't know the person apart from the book. It's impossible. This points to him. The reality is, because Jesus points it to us, he says, The Bible on every page testifies of me. You want to know how I function? You want to know what I'm about? Yeah, well, I have a personal relationship, and here's what people often do. Well, my Jesus, I go, oh, there's the the red flag every time when people make him their personal Jesus. Well, my Jesus wouldn't say that to me. Well, unfortunately, the Jesus of Scripture would say that to you, (laughs) and we've got to somehow we've got to bring those together because any other Jesus, any other Jesus is a Jesus of our own creation. We've worshiped stained glass Jesus. We've worshiped dashboard Jesus. We've worshiped bobblehead Jesus. We've got all kinds of Jesus. But I, I, have to, I have to follow the Jesus of scripture. One of my favorite authors is named Brennan Manning. And he said this, God made man in his own image and man returned the compliment. We made God in our image. And we often make God in our image. When we do that, he winds up being a fussy, rude, narrow-minded, legalistic, judgmental, and unforgiving and unloving as we are. And that's not God. At least, that's not the God of Scripture. That may be the God of your making. That may be the God of their making. But it's not the God of Scripture because Jesus revealed the God of Scripture. He says, you want to see God? Take a look at this. I'm the window. Look to me and you'll see God. When you see me, you see him. Here's another connection between the written word and the living word. Both are fully human and yet fully divine. Let me tell you that again. There's the connection between the written word and the living word. Both are fully human and fully divine. The written word never denies its humanity. Human beings have written all of this down. Each writer has a distinct personality. They have experiences and and their own personal styles of writing. And as a result, it speaks to us where they're at. There's no unfeeling or robotic dictation. It's not like God said, okay, I'm just going to you know, do a matrix download, and you're just going to say what I want you to say. The humanity, the humanity of God, he, it's evident on every page, and yet the Holy Spirit worked in and through each writer to ensure that the words being written down were fully truthful. And at the same time, the living word, Jesus, never denied his humanity either. Never, not once. In Jesus, God reveals himself to be the one who understands, who empathizes and sympathizes with our frailty, with our failures, with our temptations. He goes, I understand. I know what you're going through because I've been here. That that changes everything. I've walked in the same stuff. Again, Jesus was clear about his humanity. He said, my humanity doesn't take anything away from my divinity, In John chapter 10, he said, the Father and I are one. We're one. Even though you see me walking around in flesh, even though you see me eating fish, even though you see me touching people, the Father and I are one. And if we're followers of Christ, we have very little difficulty accepting that the living word, Jesus, the living word, was fully human, listen, and yet fully divine, our problem is we can't seem to accept that the written word is fully divine even though it was fully human. We go, oh, well, Jesus can do that, but the Bible can't do that. I don't trust all the writers of the Bible. They were probably biased. This person had their own, you know, they, they wrote those things. This part of the Bible I agree with, this part I don't because this person said it. I go, well, wait a minute. Isn't it silly to claim, you know, people will say this, isn't it silly to claim that you know that the that the something as common as a book contains God's word? I mean, are you really saying that? I will never forget the first time I connected to that, that possibility. I was very young, the first time I heard it. I was born and raised a Catholic, and I was in a Catholic mass, and they said something about this is the word of the Lord. And I went, dang, I wanna be a priest. And then I found out they couldn't get married. And I said, I don't want to be a priest. (laughs) Honestly, I I heard that the first time I really connected. I was seven years old, and I thought, that guy's, and, And because where I was raised, watch this, in my little world, we didn't have Bibles. I'd never seen a Bible of my own. I'd never touched a Bible. But what I heard that day was, that guy has God's word? I want to read what God has to say. I want that. I want to be able to touch that. It wasn't until i was 12 years old that someone handed me a bible anybody remember the way the living way right the living bible it was this green avocado and back in the 70 okay and so they handed me the way right i'm like oh you mean this is like what the priest has yeah oh you know what my first response was i'm not sharing this with anybody that's what i learned he kept it for himself, so I should keep this for myself. And then I started reading, and I, oh, i got to give this thing away. And if God really is God, couldn't God communicate in a, uh, in, in, in a less run-of-the-mill way? I mean, really, a book? Well, sure, he could. In fact, he did. The Bible gives plenty of examples of how God communicated to us, speaking through dreams, visions, angels, At one point, a burning bush, and then a donkey. I mean, God can use me. Right there, that's where I go, all right, if God can use a donkey, I'm, I'm, I'm eligible, right? But God speaks, and he speaks to you too. You may not realize it. This is the next blank for you. God speaks to individuals by means of our conscience. That's what the Bible says. That you're gonna be standing in line at the grocery store, and you're gonna hear something. Pay for that person's groceries you mean be standing at a gas station and say, fill up that person's car with gas. You're going to hear it. And you're going to go, oh, I shouldn't have had that pizza last night. Uh-huh. Clearly that wasn't God. God wouldn't want me to spend my money on that. But here's what Romans says. Romans chapter 2 verse 15 says this. They demonstrate that God's law is within their hearts for their own conscience and their thoughts. Either accuse them or tell them what they're doing is right. God is speaking to us. He does it all the time. We just kind of change, change the station. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to that. What is that all about? <laughs> Buy my neighbor tires? What's, I'll never do that. But the Bible says that we're hardwired with a deep and inner hunger. There's something inside of every single one of us. We hunger for God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. He planted eternity in the human heart. Nobody could tell me, I didn't know it was wrong. Yes, you did. Everybody knows what's right and wrong because eternity is inside of all of us. And we can say, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. Yeah, we did. I didn't know I should do that. Yes, you did. We know what we're supposed to do. You know what? We're just, we're just tired of doing it. Honestly, that's why Paul encourages us don't grow tired of doing good. He, he warns us, he goes, You're, you're going to get exhausted. Doing the right thing. I don't want to do the right thing anymore. I want to do what I want to do. We just go, I didn't know. See, you see, see the way that works? Inside the argument. Galatians, when Paul writes Galatians, he says, you're never free from this battle of doing what you want to do and doing what the Spirit wants you to do. It's a constant clash inside of me. But God says, you know what to do. We, and You've heard me say it. We know far more than we are willing to obey. We know what we're supposed to do. It's been determined where and when in history we live. Did you know that? You were here for a specific time. You were here for a specific purpose. You have something to fulfill while you're here. You better figure out what that is. I don't want to die not discovering my purpose. And so I sought after it. You know where I started looking? Right here. Look what the Bible says in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. Everybody tracking with me? Awful quiet in here, I'm just making sure. All right, just making sure. Like everybody's like, whoa, pastor, simmer down now. Okay, Acts chapter 17, verse 26, 27. Listen to this. From one man, God created all throughout the whole earth and he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him even though he's not far from any of us. Do you know what your purpose is? To point people to God. That's our purpose. People are supposed to, listen, Jesus was the epitome of this. When you saw Jesus, what did he say? You saw God. When people see us, you know who they're supposed to see? God. They're supposed to look at you and go, Wow. So that's the way God treats people. Got it. Hmm. Unfortunately, they don't when they look at me. Unfortunately, more often than not, I get caught being selfish, self centered. Wanting what I want. And I do it really well. Anybody? But see, the purpose, our purpose, Jesus isn't here. And, And I've said this before, there is no plan B. You're it. When they see you at the gas station, at the grocery store, standing in line an hour for your kids to register for school, that's Jesus. You know, uh, I'm really late for my appointment here. Why don't you go ahead of me? I've been waiting here for an hour. I've been waiting just like this person. I waited my turn. Why can't they wait there? Just because you didn't plan correct. You, you see where my mind goes? Anybody want to join me, please? Please tell me somebody joins me on this train. Okay? I feel so lonely. Because <sighs> I could justify my selfishness. I planned accordingly. Just because you didn't plan well doesn't mean I have to. Get a, don't get in my way. Stay behind me. We do it, don't we? The grocery store. Got a cart full of groceries and that person pulls up right behind you with three or four items. You've already started loading your stuff on the belt. Come on. I waited in line. Welcome to it, fool. (laughs) Shoot. Listen, we discussed this last week that God guides his people by the Holy Spirit. God's using the Holy Spirit to guide us. But if we were to hear a voice speaking directly to us, a voice claiming to be God himself, how would we know that it was God, that that it's God speaking, and not just our desires? Typically, God speaks to do things for other people. Very rarely does God go, I want you to do this for yourself. It's very rare. For the most part, God will usually say, do this for this person, do this for this person. When he wants to correct, he usually is talking about me. Most of us, like, go, well, God told me to correct you. It, we have that reversed. When God wants to talk to you about other people, it's to bless them. When God wants to talk about you, he wants to correct you. And that is a blessing, by the way. but what happens if we just feel that something is right? Well, I just, I just feel like the Lord wants me to do this. Could, could that be God guiding us? It could. But you know what? John addresses it for us. How many of you ever felt that? I just feel like that's what God wants me to do. I feel like God wants me to buy this thing. I feel like God wants me to get this thing. I feel like God wants me to quit my job and take this job. Anybody you ever do that? I do that. How do we know if it's God? Here's what John says in 1 John 4.1. Friends, talking to all of us, don't believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. I can't, I'm telling, can I just, can I give you a personal pet peeve? When people throw the God card, God told me I'm supposed to marry you. Oh, whoa, then I guess put the ring on. God told you, God told you, that's what I call the God card. Well, God said that. The Lord gave me this word for you. Oh, wow. Oh, then it must be God, right? Watch John. Don't believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You got to test them. Test them to see if the Spirit that they have comes from God. Because there's a lot of false prophets in the world. You know what a false prophet is? People who say, God told me and God didn't tell them. It's pretty simple. That's what a false prophet is. God told me that I'm supposed to do this. I really feel like God wanted me to buy that thing. God, here's, here's really spiritual ones. Do this one. God released me to do this. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna release something else on you. I'm gonna, okay. How do we test these spirits? How, how do we test them? Because it says test them. okay. Got it. I'm in. I'm on. You, you got me. I want to test this prayer. How do we do it? Da, 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 da. It's right here. This is it. We measure everything against God's written word. If any voice chafes against Scripture at any point, then according to Scripture, it shouldn't be treated as from God. Again, God told me to marry you. God, told, God released me to do this. God wants me to do this. Well, let me, let me pray. Right, listen, is when you look at the church, when you look at our facility, anybody know, ever notice that tower over here on this side of the building? I had somebody come to me one day, and they had blueprints. And they said, Pastor, the Lord told me I'm supposed to live in the tower. I'm like, whoa. And he unrolled these blueprints. He had blueprints created and made that that was going to be an apartment. I said, well, you know, the Lord hasn't told me that yet. And somewhere the Lord's going to tell both of us that's what's going to happen. It's not an apartment, by the way. See, these kinds of things happen all the time. That's one of the reasons why God gives us his communication in writing. This is your next fill in the blank. The Bible acts as a supreme court. It's a litmus test against any and every human claim to be speaking and acting as God's authority. That's what the Bible is. You can tell whether it's from God or not because it's in here somewhere. God's gonna confirm it there. And you know what, that's a a very good thing. If every person that claimed to have heard the words of God and acted on them, apart from any other consideration, you know what we'd have on our hands? Chaos. Chaos. Well, God told me. Well, that's the way most of the world functions today. When you see religious conflict, it's because God told them one thing and God told them another thing. There's another reason that God has communicated in writing. That's your next blank. It's the best way to preserve God's words for present and future generations. We have to what did what did God say? How did he say it? And we're going to get into how this was put together. So in this series, people have been asking me, well, how did the Bible come together? We're going to get there. Psalm 102, verse 18 says this. Let this be recorded. This is the psalmist writing 2,500 years ago. Let this be recorded for future generations so that a people not yet born will praise the Lord. I hope that you can feel the wonder of this, because if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're soon to become one, you're one of the ones mentioned right here as people not yet born. See, I, I wasn't around then. Can you imagine that psalmist as he's writing? He's, again, he's self-consciously writing God's words with you and me in mind. We are the not yet born. And words are no less authoritative because they're written down rather than spoken. Stop and think about it for a minute. Think think about that. Because people say, well, you know, what what happens when this person wrote it wrong or that person wrote it wrong, right? The reverse is actually true. When we intend for something to be powerful and lasting, we give it shelf life, we write it down. I have a box that's about the size of this pulpit, it's about this big with every Valentine's Day, Father's Day, anniversary card in my marriage. They're all in this box. I save them all. I got 30 plus years of just cards. I just keep putting them, I have a box, and you just whoop, put it up there. After it sits on my desk for a month, I'm like, I am loved, I'm a great father, my kids said it, right? I, I, I take those cards, and, I, and when they go, Dad, you're a lousy dad. Well, let me tell you what you told me last Father's Day, right? Legally binding contracts, lyrical expressions of love. You know what we do with them? We write them down, and then we put music to them. We go, hey, I want people to remember this. We write it down. When God specifically instructs that his words are written down, things get really serious. At one point in Jesus' life, many of his disciples just turned and walked away. They're like, we're done. We're not going to follow him anymore. In John chapter 6, this is what's recorded. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And Jesus turned to the 12 and he says, hey, are you guys going to jet too? You guys out of here? Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? Who else has the words that give eternal life? And I love the verse. Did you notice it? John 6, 6, 6. I don't know if that's just a coincidence or what, but there it is. Are you going to leave? No, where where are we going to go? Where else am I going to get words to life? When I hear you speak, they're words of life. The words that give eternal life. I'm not going anywhere. But see, when we start reading this, we're like, "Eh, it's too hard. I don't want to do that anymore. That's that's all these disciples were doing. The disciples turned away and deserted him because the things he said was too tough. Now, that's all terrific for those living in Palestine, right, 2,000 years ago. But what about, you know, I mean, all those people, they're, they're, they're living then, right? But what about us? Is eternal life lost to us because we were born too late to hear those words? No, do you know why? Because the same words of eternal life that they were talking about. See, so he said, we're not gonna leave you because you have these words of eternal life. Well, guess what? Those same words of eternal life were written down. Those words were written down. Imagine if they weren't written down. If Luke hadn't done his job, if Luke hadn't accomplished the purpose for which he was born, to point people to God, if Matthew, Mark, John had not written these words down, we wouldn't know. Without these words, we'd still be unreconciled to God the Father with nothing to look forward to except death, judgment, and hell. Without these words, we'd never have known about God the Son, These words told us how he died, how he was resurrected, and how he's coming again. Jesus is coming again. If all the rest of it is true, that's the one piece that hasn't happened yet. So I'm just waiting. Without these words, we've never known about God the Holy Spirit, who comes to live in and with those who belong to him. One of the most difficult things that I think I deal with as a pastor is when people who claim to be Christians are careless with or selectively disregard the words that supposedly brought them life. It's, it's like a person drowning in the ocean and along comes a life raft and saves their life and then you start going, "Huh, oh, I wonder what that is. Picking a hole in the side of the raft. I'm like, what are you doing? That, that thing just saved your life. Yeah, but I don't like this part of it. Can we get rid of this part? God has preserved his words in the Bible, so that we might be preserved. I I want you to hear this. God has preserved his words so that we might be preserved. He made sure that we got these. He wants us to have life. And as we meet the source of all life, Jesus, in scripture, we will have that life. Now last week, we saw that both the Old Testament and the New Testament, they both claim to be documents with divine authority they're unique and divine this week as i've gone through this i wanted you to see how these words have been preserved for us for us and for future generations the bible at one point talks about the psalms it says jesus says the grass withers the flowers they fade right but the word of god lasts forever this, this has been going around, and I said it last week. We could burn all the Bibles. God would still reveal himself through the sun, the stars, the skies, nature. He goes, look at who I am. He just preserved the words for us. I hope that you'll join me next week because I want to jump into the next part of this series. What does the Bible seem to be when we open it up and we look around? What, it, what does it seem like? All we've done at this point is take the label off. <laughs> okay, so it says it's the Bible, but is it the, Bi- is it the holy Bible? Or is this just the religious Bible? Is this just the something to do on Sundays Bible? You know, what, what Bible is this? And again, if you have questions, please write them down. I want to try and answer those questions in this series. And so I'm, I'm trying to take those questions and, and put them into the teaching time so that you get these answers because this is what I'm betting my life on this. I found it to be true. It's historically accurate over and over and over and over again. Historically, outside of itself proven as true. So I go, all right, I'm I'm believing. That's the word of God. And we'll get into what the Bible seems to be next week. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that we have your truth. It is a truth. It is is an amazing truth resource to us, and I ask in the name of Jesus, would you help us walk that out? What what do we do from here? Because I hear these words, but I don't know what to do with them. Sometimes I'm frustrated by the things that you say because I don't want to. But I realize these are the words of life. That's what Peter said. Where else are we gonna go for words that will bring us life? Not just life here, but eternal life. I pray, Father, that as we worship this morning, it would be done in spirit and in truth because that's what you're looking for, a people who will stop all things and not consider anything else but just you. And we wouldn't worship our cars. We wouldn't worship our families. We wouldn't worship our spouses. We wouldn't worship our kids. We wouldn't worship our jobs. We wouldn't worship where we work or where we live. We stop right here to worship you and you alone. And with these words... Someone wrote them down and threw music against it, and we remember who you are. I don't even know who the songwriters are, but I know who they're talking about. And we give you these songs this morning in Jesus' name. That'd be so. I'd be done.